Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Rip Roar Reds podcast. My name is Grove, and this morning I am not joined by Jace. Uh, Jace is away at a wedding, uh, and so you've just got me, who uh, my my levels have calmed down. I started uh, yesterday evening post the game being super, super hot, and I decided that I wanted to kind of take in some of this game, digest it a little bit more, let the dust settle, and kind of hopefully uh, be a bit more calm. Uh, I'm still pretty elevated. I'm still pretty spicy, if I was to be honest. Um, but I really do want to talk about this game. So let's get that intro music on and I'll get straight into it. Saka. Saka. Right, we're going to start uh, this episode, like we start every episode, we're going to talk about Rip Roar and Review. Uh, I am going to go with something that goes against everything that I probably said at the start of the season is that I don't think we've got it takes uh, to win this league. Um, I looked at the table and I was surprised to see that Man City obviously had dropped two games already. uh, And yet yesterday, it's like nothing happened. It's like they just continued in their usual form and just did exactly what they always do. And it still feels to me that Man City have yet to even hit third, fourth, fifth or any gear beyond that. Um, It's crazy to think that we're this early in the season and we're catastrophizing and uh, making disasters out of literally literally everything we've seen. But that was a game that wasn't easy by any means. Um, I don't think anybody walked into it. St. James's Park is a cauldron-like atmosphere and that game was certainly a feisty um, affair, but I think most of us looked at that game as a winnable game or as a game where we likely would not drop points. Um, like I said, not going to be easy, but we should have taken something away. And I think from the first half of that game, I would have certainly agreed with that sentiment. However, I just look at the table now and I look at the teams around us, uh, particularly Man City, who I've already mentioned, but Liverpool, they're going to play today. I mean, they're, they're, they're going to win. Um, there's no doubt about that in my mind. But then you've also got some of the other teams like Spurs are obviously still on a roll. They play Chelsea on Monday um, and there could be some opportunity there for some drop points. But we've also got teams like Villa who are still super, super up there um, on a great run of form and have some great players. And Emery's doing a fantastic job there. So really, I'm reflecting on those teams in and around us and kind of thinking, do we have it in us? And with some of the injuries that are kind of occurring within our squad at the moment, albeit maybe the fringe players, But when we are asking Arteta to do a a great deal more rotation, resting um, and trying to ensure that we have some really good energy through the legs of those players that are our fringe players or are our kind of second rotation players, the drop off is incredible. The drop off is incredible. And we've also seen injuries to key ones such as Party, Timber who uh, would have likely been significantly closer to the starting 11 than some of the others. So, yeah, my my review, I don't think we've got it in us now to, to win this league. I think I've seen enough from the first quarter of this season to think we'll be up there, uh, to certainly think we'll be in and about it. I just don't think um, that we've got enough to get us over the line.
Now, I'm going to break down this game into three three segments. Um, I'm, of course, going to get to the elephant in the room, but I decided to leave uh, the uh, VAR and refereeing to the end because I feel like my stress levels are going to uh, go up during this podcast. And so I'm going to start with some good. I'm going to start with the good. So there, there was some good in this game, particularly in the first half, I feel. Um, but there are two players in particular that I want to kind of talk about a little bit. The first being William Saliba. William Saliba is is the linchpin of this team. He is the the base. He is the core. He is the spine. And there's no way, looking at my point earlier, that we would get anywhere close to getting this league title or in and about it without him staying fit this season and, and allowing him to be rotated in and out as and when times need now the last game Kiwior came in I think it was for for Gabriel and Saliba still started um but we're gonna have to game manage Saliba significantly better than we did last season when he picked up his back injury some of the things he does is just incredible his his calmness on the ball for me is the the biggest thing that he does which I am stunned by every single time that he does it there are occasions when he has two, three, four players around him trying to get the ball off of him. And he somehow either Cruyff turns or or able to nutmeg someone or able to just effectively rotate the ball and move it back out and start playing forward. He has an uncanny ability to have such immediate control at his feet and such a head on him at such a young age. It's incredible to think that he, he plays for us. I will admit, I think that he is not destined um, to stay at Arsenal for 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 the best years of his career. I think if he continues on this trajectory, the likelihood is that he'll be at a Madrid, at a PSG, or somewhere along those lines, where he will be able to um, you know craft his trade uh, in a in a bigger setting potentially in the future. Uh, I do think that maybe he feels a bit uh, aggrieved or burned by the initial. Um, management of him by Arteta in uh, the early days of his career here at Arsenal. Um, but what we have now is probably a top five centre-back in the world. Um, and it's unfortunate that obviously we lost this game and there's no way, shape or form as part of Saliba's um, part in this game at all. But generally speaking, he was able to muscle players off the ball for fun. He was uh, keeping people in his pocket. He did exceptionally well. Um, this game and and every game that I've pretty much seen so far, I don't think I've seen anything in him yet as a mistake or an accident or or kind of mis mistimed or misjudged. There was a small occasion in this, I think, where he was running up against uh, Callum Wilson, um, and I think Callum Wilson did have a small tug on him, which kind of slowed him down. So I don't think there's anything in there that I would have done differently. So yeah, Saliba for me, incredible, incredible player, had a really good game, and our season is effectively underpinned and hanging on him, staying fit and needing to be managed. The second player that also fits uh, into that category is Declan Rice. Now, I talked uh, talked a little bit in the previous pod about it being hyperbole, about he's probably one of the best DMs in the world. Uh, He is... I still can't find the words to express... My love for Declan Rice, I actually feel like I want to marry him. I'm already married, so uh, sorry to my wife if she's listening. Um, 
but Declan Rice is an incredible player. And, and at times when you need a player of his uh, magnitude, of his ability, of his drive and determination, um, it wasn't enough today, but we've seen in past games that he's been able to drag this uh, team by the scruff of the neck and bring them forward. And he continued to do that today. Um, he is, uh, like Saliba, I've not seen him make a mistake. I've not seen any accidents. I've not seen anything that would tell me that he's not um, where he needs to be. But once again, although from everything that I've seen from him at West Ham, and it's not a great deal, he he needs to keep be kept fit. And he needs to rotate in and out players in order to ensure that he stays fit. And the problem is, like I said already, the drop off between our first and second string is incredible. Um, at the moment, I know Jorginho is playing and we'll get on to him later. Um, but there's nothing that can replace Declan Rice in this team. Thomas Party was the closest thing that we had to a rotation option in Declan Rice. He can play that single pivot role, but he can't play it as well. And he's now uh, out till December. He'll be going to the AFCON, no doubt, in January. Somehow he'll miraculously be fit for that and then come back unfit. Um, we cannot rely uh, on Thomas Party. And I know that Jay said, should we be selling him? Should we cap be capitalising on him? And the answer is yes. Um, but we're going to need something else. We cannot rely on Jorginho. We cannot rely on El Elneny uh, to fill in that gap. Um, but yeah, Declan Rice, Saliba, both need to stay fit, both need to be managed and are both critical in underpinning the success of this Arsenal side this season. Right, that's the good. I'm going to move on to the bad. Um, where to start? Uh, I'm not going to start with a player. I'm going to start with an actual uh, a sentiment with regards to how we've uh, been playing across the last two or three games at least. It's our, our creative spark. Now, I can't tell you if that is correlated to the fact that Martin Erdegaard has not played. I think that creative spark has been lacking for longer than he has been out. Um, and maybe the lens is more fully focused on this issue now that he is not in the squad and he has picked up uh, an injury, I believe. We, we lack any form of creativity once we move into that final third of the pitch. It just doesn't seem to connect for us. It doesn't seem to marry up. We seem to lose the connection between our brain and our feet uh, when we get to that final third. And, and it really was telling in a game where we had uh, 14 shots and an XG of almost half, so 0.57, um, incredibly poor in front of goal and incredibly poor in creating anything meaningful. We created 11 uh, chances during this game, uh, key chances, and, and neither of them really stand out to me. Um, neither of them uh, really kind of look like clear cut. Um, Newcastle defended incredibly well this game. I, don't, I really don't want to underplay the fact that both of our defences in this game were, were relatively uh, stringent, we're, we're really stingy with giving away good opportunities. So I do have to say that obviously both us and the opposition during this game defended incredibly well. And so that does take away. But, you know, when teams are putting 11 men behind the ball, when they are doing a low block, of course, you're going to need something to unlock that. And we've talked about it in previous pods plenty of times already. Nothing is doing for us at the moment in terms of that. We, we still are unable to have the uh, creative ability to unlock that low block. And it was a big miss here. 
And there's there's key players that are missing, I, I suppose, in relation to that. And obviously, like I said, Erdegaard's are unfit. And so coming in his place during this game, I'm still not sure who it is, who it was. I, I guess it was supposed to be Kai Havertz, um, who had, and I, I've read a lot of threads on X. I've, I've read a lot of content on The Athletic and the uh, Ask Blog and various other different places. And, you know, a lot of people talk about Kai Havertz having a good game here. And I maybe I just don't know football. Maybe that that is the the, the point here, and I can probably uh, agree with it. Maybe fifty percent. Um, I don't think he had a good game. I think he was. I think we're trying to find anything from a Kai Havertz performance that can allow us to feel a bit more warmth towards him, to feel a little bit more like he is trying. And I don't deny that he's trying. But you're paying sixty-five million pounds for a Premier League starter who came from one of the top clubs in the country. And he, he's not hitting the ground running. For me, that's unforgivable. For me, that is just not a tenable situation. And I don't know how long we can continue with this experiment where he's not doing the things that he needs to be doing in those positions. Granted, he is winning aerial duels. And I've talked to Lizwick before that he does win a lot of headers, no doubt about it. If you're playing, I feel today he played as the 10, or, or at least a lot more in the pockets, created nothing. Um, no real, there was one pass, I think, that really was the closest thing that we had from a, a generative uh, attack from a Kai Havertz pass. Didn't come off, obviously. Um, for someone this year who scored one goal, and that was a penalty, so his non-XG is probably incredibly low. Um, and I think he's got one assist this season. Um, for me, it's just simply not good enough. And it's unfortunate that, obviously, Emil Smith-Rowe um, is injured because I, I feel that he would have likely been able to plug that gap um, today left by Martin Erdegaard. I think he showed enough promise in the West Ham game that he could continue because I don't think I've seen enough from um, Kai Havertz. Um, another form of our, our outlet, I suppose, is, is Bukayo Saka. Now, I, I'm i going to be the one that's going to... I'm on a podcast where I'm talking about my opinion, where I'm talking about what I feel about a game. And I love Bukayo Saka. He is probably my favourite Arsenal player. He is incredibly headstrong, is incredibly um, dynamic in his football. He is uh, an exceptional player and one of the best wingers in the world. But at this very moment in time, he has gone off the boil. Off the boil by... uh, uh, and we talked in a previous pod about some of the data not showing that. And I, I, I feel like I don't want to look at it because it might tell me a different story. Um, but he looks lethargic. He looks leggy. He looks like he doesn't have the same drive, um, the same guile, the same cutting inside, the same pace as he did last season. We've seen that cutting to that left-footed shot so many times last season. We've We've seen it a couple of times this season where he's tried it. And he just seems off it. He just doesn't seem as quick. He doesn't seem as supported. And I would say that obviously when Ben White came off, um, that was a little bit different as well because Tommy Yasu and him maybe don't have that partnership. But he looks injured to me. And the, the, the problem is with that statement, and because that, that may be the case, he has no adequate backup. He has nobody that can fill his shoes. No one in this team and not many in the world that can either. And that's the problem. The drop-off, as I've said, from some of our first and second string players is incredible. And this is this is a probably primary example of that. Between him and, so let's say, Nelson or Trossard, it's incredible. 
absolutely um, vast in the gap that it is exposing. Um, and I suppose at the moment that that gap is maybe smaller because Saka's uh, performances aren't as good as I believe they can or should be. Um, but still, he is in the firing line here. He he really is. And he's not getting the same output as last season. He's not generating the same chances as he did last season. And he frankly just looks invisible to me. He is not. For me, if I was to compare, look at Martinelli. And I've said it before. He's just exciting. He looks exciting. And everything that Martinelli does feels like he's doing it to try and drag this team back into games or to drive them forward. And that is something that is um, missing, I think, from Saka. Saka is also losing his head. I saw a couple of occasions during this game where he would lose the ball or he would get tackled. And, and he certainly feels uh, a more emotive player than I've seen in previous seasons. Granted, I think he does take... He's one of those players, and I'm sure many of you have seen it in Sunday League football or five, six, seven aside that you've played. Those players that are are nimble, are quick, low centre of gravity, that are being picked at, nibbled at continuously. I've had plenty of people that I've played with that I've seen that type of um, experience. And he does get tackled a lot. He does get fouled a lot. There's no doubt about it. He certainly has the Grealish about him when it comes to that. But he certainly seems to be getting more aggressive, more emotive. Um, there were chances in this game where I felt he could have been carded for his response and his um, particularly standing up to the linesman um, when he was tackled by Dan Byrne, who I, who I would say, how does Dan Byrne not get a card for some of those challenges on Bukayo Saka? Unbelievable that he escaped it. And I know he got hooked to half time for a bad back, but there was two occasions where he should have got a card and didn't. And I, I do feel, and I, you know, I'm going to get onto it. The refereeing in this, this game was uh, entirely abysmal probably the worst performance of a referee i've seen in a premier league era it is shocking absolutely shocking um what else was bad um the subs frankly we've talked a little bit in the past about the subs being a usually really good uh thing for us to change and, and are having a massive impact on our game this time it did not work i'm afraid fabio Vieira is not fit to play for arsenal in my opinion any um, any opinion that you had of him or any verdict that you'd already made on him to say that he was going to make it after having those two or three assists earlier on in the season, I think are misjudged. Um, I don't think he he is ready to be anywhere near this starting eleven, And he certainly just feels incredibly absent in any game that he comes in on. Secondly, uh, Trossard, uh, once again, I, I don't mind him coming into the team because I do feel that he offers a little bit more than Fabio Vieira. However, I would say his corners, I, I, I am flabbergasted, flabbergasted. We had 11 corners during this game and I do feel, I, don't, I haven't looked statistically, but I, I think about five or six of them came in the last 10 to 15 minutes. We had a, a period of pressure after the goal where we continued to push Newcastle into their um, own third and we had a lot of corners they had no corners this game incredible um, we had 11 corners and out of those Trossard took a, a fair chunk of them none of them missing the first man absolutely incredible um, I don't know if that's obviously something we've done on the training ground that our set piece uh, coach has uh, drilled into the team we talked a little bit about being drilled and told all the things they kind of need to do as players um, but unforgivable in my eyes, 
I don't understand how Trossard is able to not change that up, recognising that every time we did the same thing, it wasn't working. So for me, I am really, really disappointed in him. Um, and I'm also really, really disappointed in Eddie. I talked a little bit before about I don't feel that Eddie is necessarily adequate and good enough for a title-winning side. Um, our seasoning is a little bit underpinned by the fact that we need Jesus to be fit. But during this game, Eddie was poor. He was There was one that sticks in my mind where he swung at the ball and just frankly just missed it. It was a good opportunity we could have created from that, but he just kind of lashed at it. And it's, I always talk about this. You see that a lot in, you know, playground football, people lashing at balls and missing balls. These are probably like 15-year-old kids that play football at lunchtimes at school. And that's the kind of quality that you're seeing from a team that are either second, third in the league, fighting for a title from their, their first choice striker. Absolutely insane. Um, he was shanking misses. He was swinging at balls. He wasn't putting on the same uh, pressure game that I've seen him put on before. Um, I feel an incredibly poor performance by Eddie Nketiah during this game. And like I've talked about, I think that the main theme of this podcast so far has been that delta between first and second choice. We need Jesus fit and fighting, and he's also going to be out till December. Um, the only I've talked a lot about some bad points in this game. However, I would say that only one team I feel came to this game wanting to win this game, and it was Arsenal. Um, granted, we, we like I said, we lacked that creative spark and the ability to unhook and unpick um, their defence. But I, I do feel that, once again, this is probably the third Newcastle game I've watched in, in as many seasons where I don't feel that they've come to play football. They have come to stifle. They have come to be aggressive. They have come to injure and kind of just create panic but not, not really having anything uh, going forward. Right, elephant in the room, going to finally get to it. We're going to talk about the ugly. Um, we're going to talk about VAR. And we're going to talk about, let me let me go through two different things first of all. So I'm going to talk about Bruno Gimieris first. Um, I He should have, and I think Gary Neville mentioned this in commentary, he should have had circa five yellow cards during this game. There was two that really stood out to me. It's obviously the the forearm in the back of Jorginho's head, which um, apparently was was reviewed by VAR and deemed as uh, not aggressive um, because it wasn't his elbow. Um, now, I, I don't know. I, I don't know the letter of the law, but I, I can't understand how you can run around the pitch and you can use your arm to smash people in the back of the head and have that... Like there are games in the past where VAR didn't exist and those things can go because the referee didn't see it and it's too late for us to go back and kind of have a look at what we might need to take away from it. But we, we live in a world where VAR exists, where they can unpick and look at every single nuance if they wish. Um, and it was reviewed. And it, was, it wasn't just reviewed. It was reviewed with no card, not even a yellow card. Um, I can't understand how you can look at that it's intentional. You can see it's intentional. He has, there's no need for the arm to be at that height when he's running towards the ball. The ball's not in the air. The ball's on the ground. Um, he should have been off. It's violent conduct. There's no two ways about it. And ultimately that, that changes this game entirely. Bruno had lost his head way beyond doing that. He was hot this entire game and, and certainly required hooking earlier than I think that he was. It's just mad to me that VAR can review that. 
Post that, then he also then does the same in Jorginho's back and then tells him to get up. That's a yellow card offence once again. It's it's a direct push elbow into the back, off the ball. I I, I seriously am, am questioning. I don't want to be like a conspiracy theorist. I don't want to be one of those individuals like the Man United uh, fans are at the moment where everyone's out to get them, everyone's against them. But it, it, it really does feel like a, something is untoward. Something is not naturally there that, that, that shouldn't be there. Um, it was mad. You know, Bruno should have been gone. He should have been hooked and he should have been sent off. And there was multiple instances where this was possible. And either VAR decided not to act or are seeing something entirely different. But let's let's move on to, um, well, I was going to talk a little bit about some other incidents during the game. There was one where Callum Wilson had his uh, arms strangled around Gabriel's neck uh, and then he pushed him to the ground. Once again, this one didn't seem to get reviewed. The referee was in clear sight of it. No card. Again, I know there is tussles between defenders, but, you know, you cannot grab people around the neck. There's a lot of shirt pulling, a lot of arms around the body. That just naturally happens as part of being an attacker and a defender locked into a tussle. But for me, grabbing someone around the neck, pushing someone around the neck, we've seen it before. It's violent conduct. It's at least a yellow, if not a red. Um, Referee, once again, absent from that decision. Uh, You know, I'm not going to just go off on on Newcastle here. Kai Havertz, that challenge that he made in the first half, I think he was trying to block the ball. I don't think he was trying to challenge the man, but his trailing leg obviously gets him and it did seem uncontrolled. His leg was off the floor. There's a chance there that I think that's also a red card. And that also was reviewed and also not deemed to be. Now, I think there's an element here of not wanting to ruin big spectacle games because these are two teams fighting towards the top and what is the biggest league in the world costing billions and billions and so there's a referees get caught in this quandary where they they don't know what to do because they don't want to impact the game but they want to follow the rules of the letter and this is where that that subjectiveness i think comes into it and let's let's get on to the main the main incident which was gordon's goal which i'm i'm gonna i think is the worst passage of VAR that we've we've yet um, that we've seen so far since its inception, and it may be the worst that we will ever see. There are there are so many issues with this VAR call that I I simply cannot understand. Firstly, is the ball out of play? And the, the response was, and I think some of the leaked audio that we will likely get to hear in the following days was that there was nothing in there conclusive enough to tell us whether the ball was in or out of play. In an industry, like I said, that's worth billions, I, I find it mental that we still do not have the technology to be able to make these decisions um, easier. Now, I would say that everyone's seen the pictures. Oh, you can see it's plainly out. Now, obviously, the ball can, the curvature of the ball can be out past the line, but the, the actual ball can still be on the line. I can, I think it's still in. I think it's still in. So I think that, that, that stands. I think the thing that I cannot forgive during this passage of play is that the Arsenal players entirely switch off. When they believe that ball has gone out of play, all of them throw their hands up and stop playing football. And that's when Newcastle get in. If we didn't switch up at that, I don't think we would have conceded that goal. And I think there's no one to blame there. And it's not the referee. It's not VAR. That's the Arsenal players. That's their fault. And I cannot get on board with that. It's schoolboy football. Absolute schoolboy football. You see it on the playground. You see it on Sunday League. You see it in kind of vets games. Don't switch off until the referee blows that whistle. We, we did and we paid the price for it. But anyway... I think that ball's in, but the VAR can't make a decision. Inconclusive. So the ball comes across, and there we have, um, there's a player pushing in the back 
of, of Gabriel. There's two hands directly on his back. Gabriel is trying to head the ball and is being pushed downwards uh, in order that he can't get to the ball and it ends up ricocheting off an arm uh, outwards to Anthony Gordon. Two incidents there. Firstly, the push in the back. Anywhere else on the pitch, it's given as a free kick. No doubt in my mind about it. It seems that the rules and the laws of the game change depending on the proximity to the goal, which it shouldn't. Um, those two hands on the back, it's a push, it's a foul. There's no doubt in my mind about it. Um, I think Gabriel would collect that ball and would have been able to head it away had he have not had those two pushes in his back. Secondly, the ball ricochets off an arm. Now, if you're able to review that and have a look at if there's any advantage given on the attacking side, if there's anything hitting that arm, it's also not given. That one wasn't actually checked as far as I'm aware um, because they'd already checked two things up until this point already and we were about to check another one. Um, that also wasn't given. So anyway, the ball ricochets out to Anthony Gordon and then VAR check for the offside. Um, again, here, there's not a conclusive enough uh, view or angle that can tell us where the ball had came off the player uh, towards Anthony Gordon. I am beside myself. I am incredibly angry. Um, and I can understand now how some of the Liverpool fans felt when they um, were aggrieved by a similar kind of set of uh, VAR incidents. There's something in this that cannot be ignored. And I, I praise Mikel Arteta for his post-match conference where he, I think he'd, managers are a bit fearful because they get a lot of fines. They maybe get banned from the touchline. They have a lot of issues. And as such, um, this was not, he didn't hold back. He went in. He went in. He was saying that he was in disbelief. He said he can't forgive them. He said in his 20 years of being in the game, it's frankly embarrassing. And I'm entirely agreeing with Mikel Arteta here. This is frankly at this level in this game with this much at stake. Absolutely incredible that we, we cannot have um, accurate officiating and not even just accurate officiating. I can, I can understand some of the subjectiveness of some of these decisions, but there are some in there that just can't be looked at subjectively that need to be looked at with the, the eyes of the law and the rules to the letter followed and managed and in this case there were four instances during that goal that had the opportunity for it to be chalked off and it wasn't and I, I i get the sense that var the longer they were taking the less inclined they were to chalk the goal off because it had taken as long as it had there was nothing in there that they felt that they could really do away with that meant that it was either a detriment to the spectacle and the game that was happening or that they had taken so long that they needed to kind of stick to their guns with the on-field decision. And I feel that a lot of referees nowadays are actually just being completely absent from decisions anyway because they feel that they can be rescued out of it. Now, I'm really looking forward to hearing this audio because if some of the things that we've read are to be true, it's incredible absolutely incredible where they will literally say he has handled the ball or he is pushing into his back you replay that anywhere else on this field it's a free kick it's a penalty in the other opposition's half i i don't know i don't know what else to say on it it was truly ugly it's truly the worst of var uh you could hear it on the tannoy in the grounds that is checking uh, for ball out of play, checking for possible foul, checking for it's in the fan going experience. It is disgusting. It is sickening. It's just not something that we are very good at anymore. And even the visual experience watching at home, like by all accounts, I'm told 
that they don't slow it down in Stockley Park. You watch any of these in slow motion, there's no way you can't come to the conclusion that that goal should not have stood. Anyway, I've said my piece. I think I've woosard a little bit down. And I think, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's what our first loss of the season. We're still up and amongst it. But it was incredible um, to witness this and not come away with something from this game. Right. Parking lot. Uh, nothing really in it for me. Uh, obviously, we are playing in Sevilla this week. We're on the back of two losses and we really need to uh, put them to the sword at home so we can start to rest some of our players in uh, the other two remaining games of our Champions League. Um, myself and Jace probably will be back uh, later on this week in order to cover that game. I am on a work trip to Barcelona, so I won't. I might not be there. We're going to see what happens. Um, but if you're watching this on YouTube, like I said before, please do uh, give us a thumbs up. Please do subscribe to the channel. Please do leave a comment if you can. We'd really appreciate any engagement we have with the Arsenal community in building up this podcast. If you're listening on your podcast provider of choice, please do leave a five-star uh, review. We'd really appreciate it. And do engage with us on X, on Insta, on TikTok. We'd really love to speak to as many of the Arsenal community as we possibly can. Um, thank you very much for joining me, and we'll see you again soon. Come on, you!